All right. Ah, uh, I mean, don't ruin my surprise, bro. What's up with you, man? Nah, I, I, I think I'm thinking about singing a song. Uh, I, well, I wasn't planning on doing that. I really wasn't. I, I make my wife nervous, and I get nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs every time I sing. But I, I wasn't planning on it, but as I was, was thinking about the message today and the Thanksgiving week, and I thought, I thought about I may share, and I, and I think I will, um, in, in a moment. In a moment. But I want to kind of set it up to why I felt like, because I've been practicing, and I was going to sing the song in church at some point, but I didn't think I was quite ready to do it, but um, we'll see. Uh, they've already messed up pretty bad this morning, so <laughs> if I mess up one more time, I mean, who cares, you know? Um, thanks, Matt. You set it up for me. <laughs> um, so, I, so the song that I was that I think I will uh, do is to the table, and and it's funny because you know I was I'm preparing to preach this week, and I'm asking the Lord, you know what what do I share? And I did a my my broadcast this week on Ithers was about interracial relationships and marriage, and I, I was toying with the idea because there was a huge response to that lots of views and lots of interaction and and people were sharing it and so I thought you know maybe that's more uh more of an issue and uh, more relevant than I thought you know you think we'd be past that at this point but um sadly I don't think that we are but there was such a response to that I thought well maybe I could touch on and cover that even more a, a little more deeply in the service and I know not everybody watched that and so uh, maybe that would be pretty pretty productive to cover, and so I, but I went away from that, and I was like, no, I, you know, I'm, I may just be in the flesh on that because I've already prepared for that, and it might be easy, and that's why I'm leaning into that. So I started preparing another sermon, but the Lord just really drew, drew me back to that, especially in light of a lot of the events that's happened this week, and He opened my eyes to one more dimension to the text in Numbers chapter 12. If you watch the podcast or the the broadcast, that. Um, the Lord said, no, I, I want to I I touch this today. I want to talk about this today. And that element of that is how, how so often there is a smoke screen that goes up in order to bring about division and question the authority of God in uh, so many situations. And if you have been watching the news at all and you don't live under a rock, then you probably... Uh, have already guessed. I'm talking about this Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Okay, now some of you may be sick of hearing about this, and uh, some of you may not have a clue what I'm talking about, uh, and some of you may think that I need to keep uh, cultural issues out of the pulpit. But the problem is, is that the enemy is using cultural situations and things that that are set forth in the community to bring about divisions and attack the church of God. And when that starts happening, we can choose to do a couple of different things from the pulpit. We can just ignore cultural situations and uh, the, the temperature of the culture and, and things like that. We can just choose to ignore that and say, well, I'm just going to preach the Bible. And that's all well and fine. But the problem is, is that the Bible itself, the biblical authors address the culture in which they live with biblical truths in order to combat the, 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 the schemes of the devil and the tricks that he sets forth in order to come against the church and against the truth, period. 
okay? And so I think I will step into that lane, and I will address the evils of our culture, especially the media, especially the leftist uh, nut jobs that are trying to divide us as a people, trying to attack the church of the living God, and trying to, through lies and manipulation, they're trying to convince us of a narrative that does not exist. And they are succeeding in many different ways. And I want to show you that. And the Lord has, has, I believe, compelled me. I tried to do something else, but the Lord has compelled me to touch on these situations. So what, what am I talking about today? What is the issue? And I think the primary issue that I want to address today is unity within the body of believers first and foremost. Secondly, I want to talk about uh, unity as those of the human race, okay? And I think more importantly than anything, the fact, and here's where the song came in, and I wasn't going to sing the song, I have been practicing the song, but I wasn't ready, but the fact that through the gospel, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, all physical attributes and realities that could hinder you from coming has been completely dealt with in every way, shape, form, or fashion in the propitiatory work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the payment that Christ has made on the cross for the sins of any who would believe. In other words, that there is a seat at the table for everyone, no matter what, as long as you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no sin too bad that Christ's blood can't wash it away. There is no race that cannot come because they are not the divine chosen race. There is no wealth goal that you must meet in order to have a seat at the table. There is none of that, for we all in Christ Jesus are made one with God. And the beautiful thing is, is that the church of the living God, the church of Jesus Christ, is made up, expressly uh, taught in Scripture, that it is made up of those from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Diversity is, a, is an attribute of Jesus Christ's church. And if you read or watched the broadcast, you would have heard me touch on that, and I'll touch on that again today. But all of that being said, that Jesus Christ is the unifying factor, and the beauty is the new covenant, uh, in contrast to the old covenant, the old covenant God had made a covenant with and set apart a nation, one nation, and that was Israel. And in the new covenant, the gospel fulfills the old covenant and brings in a new administration through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that new covenant, he broadens that message out to include all tribes, all tongues, and all nations in the one person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God's people are multicultural, multiracial, multinational, and any other word that you want to use to describe it, it's worldwide, okay? The gospel transcends and infiltrates every culture, not to make that culture into national Israelites, 
but to transform that culture from the inside out, that that culture would be redeemed to reflect the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? That the gospel transcends. And so just a quick physical reality that you may not be aware of. In the history of evangelicalism, there has been situations where white evangelicals or some other nationality or race evangelicals had the idea that they needed to go into a foreign culture and not only preach the gospel and what the, watch the Holy Spirit transform the people in that culture, but they needed to preach their culture too. And so you go into a, a, an African village or a Nigerian tribe or you go into these different places, wherever it may be, and you not only preach the gospel say that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you for your sins in your place as a substitute to pay the penalty to make you one with God, but that once you're saved, now, let's, let's get you dressed like a fill-in-the-blank. Let's change your music to this way. I know you used to dance a lot in your culture, but you know people don't dance in church. And so we try to transform the culture with Baptist traditions or whatever traditions. But Jesus says, what? That's absurd that Jesus Christ infiltrates the culture and redeems the aspects of those culture. So if they want to dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus. If they sing uh, different types of songs, sing different types of songs, that God and the gospel of Christ transcends all, and it makes us one people that is so diverse, not just with skin color, but with culture, with different hobbies, with different likes, with different tastes, tastes in food, tastes of all things. And this touches on every single thing. We see it in a new covenant theology that just broadens out and touches every single aspect. So this is the thought, is that we all in Christ, no matter what we look like, how much money we have, what type of job we have, what type of car we drive, all of us, through faith in Christ, we all have unity, and we meet and sit at the table, and we fellowship and feast, and we're thankful together. Thanksgiving could not be said, in my opinion, in a better way than that. Jesus Christ is the foundational principle of the very meaning of what it means to be thankful and thanksgiving. And this idea of sitting around the table, I love it. And it is all throughout the scripture. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say in Revelation? It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anybody that would answer the door, I would come in and eat with him, and he with me. That this idea of dining and fellowshipping together, that we all have a seat at the table. So the song is called To the Table. Now, the text that I'm going to get into is Numbers chapter 12. And I came at it from a perspective, and the Word of God is so deep and so true. I came at it from a perspective on Wednesday for the primary message of that lesson would be that God not only, not only is God okay with interracial marriage, but God is against those who are against interracial marriage, as we see in the text. And I'll, I'll get to that here in just a moment. That may be a surprise to some of you guys who grew up in racist atmospheres, no matter what color you are, no matter what creed you are, no matter what background you're from. But I'll get into that and I'll show that. But the primary thing that I want to show you today is the fact that race wasn't even the primary issue in that text. Race was a smokescreen set forth by Miriam in order to address the bigger problem that she had. What was the bigger problem? The bigger problem 
was the reality and truthfulness of God's word. That he had called Moses to be his mouthpiece and to be his spokesperson and to set forth his truth through Moses. The racial issue was a smokescreen. The national uh, issues that she had set forth, she had a problem with that, but she put that forth in order to address another issue that she had, and that was that she had a problem with the way that God was doing things. Nevertheless, the message is, is that through God, through Christ, through the gospel, that we all have a place at the one table. So I'll, I'll, I'll do this. Now, y'all have, y'all have grace with me because I get nervous when I sing, but I did want to share and do this. And my wife, do you need to go in, in there? Or? <laughs> so I'm going to turn this face mic off and I'll bend this over there. Good, check. Ooh, that's some reverb. He's trying to hide something. Oh, I'm so nervous. Y'all pray for me. Ooh. Okay, check. We ready? Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for you. And a friend who understands everything you're going through. You keep standing at a distance In the shadow of your shame But there's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place So bring it all to the table Nothing he ain't seen before. All your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness. There's a savior, and he calls. Bring it all to the table. Thank you. Appreciate the help. He can see the weight you carry. And the fear that holds your heart. That's my favorite part. But through the cross you've been forgiven. You're accepted as you are. So bring it all to the table. There's nothing. All your trials, all your worries, and your burdens. There's a Savior, and He calls. Bring it all to the table. And come on in, take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All you sinners, 
So bring it on. Can y'all do that with me? You can bring it on. You can bring it on. You can. Embarrass my wife enough. That looks like it was good right to the end. <laughs> Hambone says if you can't land the plane, just crash it. <laughs> All right. Enough making a fool out of myself for Christ. Praise the Lord. I am actually so, so thankful that we can come to the table and we can do so because of Christ. God knows that if there were any stipulations or any type of uh, um, things that, any, any type of situation where we had things that we had to meet, I'd have never made it. I would have never made it. Uh, God knows where I was when he saved me. And uh, I was hell-bound, and uh, I couldn't stand him. I hated him, but uh, he had enough grace to chase me down and, and stop me in my tracks. Turn with me in Numbers chapter 12, and I want to touch on this briefly, and uh, we'll call it a day. Numbers chapter 12, please stand to your feet for the reading and hearing of God's word. Starting to look like a, well, up, down, up, down, up, down. <laughs> yeah, those air squats getting to you. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman, also from Ethiopia. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also, and the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Here uh, my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. 
I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. When he, with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please but the Lord said to Moses, and her father, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until, uh, until Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. So I'm going to briefly touch on some of the things that I touched on in my broadcast on Wednesday, which was primarily the issue of interracial marriage and interracial relationships. Sadly, uh, this is still a part of reality. We still have people who are racist. Uh, they exist. They exist in all different types, forms, colors, creeds, and nations, okay? You don't have to be a certain color to be racist. You don't have to be a certain nation, nationality to be racist, ethnicity, that people find it as a part of human nature, in my opinion, that uh, any, any culture can, can be racist, okay? We have this issue, and often, oftentimes, because it's not as accepted in our day today as it was, say, even 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it still exists, but it's hidden in, uh, more, it's more likely to be hidden now. Someone would have an issue with racism, but they wouldn't be as ready to talk about it as they were maybe uh, even 50 years ago. But oftentimes, you can get to the heart of that issue. I have conversations about race uh, with uh, all kinds of different people uh, from time to time. Uh, I, some people think that's really awkward. Uh, it doesn't really bother me. I, I have those conversations with uh, anybody that don't have those conversations with me. I want to know uh, what your experience is. Uh, I know what my experience is, what I see, but it may not be the same thing that you see and what you experience. So I want to know, hey, how, you know, do you see this? What do you see? What do you think about it? And most of the time when I'm talking to people, they won't acknowledge the fact that they have racist tendencies, and some people don't. That's, you know, praise the Lord. Uh, but but I, I tend to be able to get to the heart of that issue with one simple question, okay? So we'll just take a for instance. I'm talking to a white guy. You know, he's old school white guy. He uh, says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not racist. You know, I, my, my family was, and, and I dealt with that at, at one point, but no, I'm not racist anymore. And I say, well, that's great, that's great. Uh, let me ask you a question. Would you be cool if your white daughter married a black guy? Well, now, uh, now I'm not racist, so let's don't go too far, Brandon, okay? Uh, what have I done in that instance? I've, I've pulled back the covers. I've pulled back the curtain, Okay. And now, in, in theory, you know, I'm not racist. I don't, I don't look down on, you know, any, you know, culture, you know, uh, people with more melanin in their skin and all that. You know, that's, that's fine until it 
gets personal and comes into my family. That's a little bit different, you know. And they'll start giving all kinds of reasons why. And a lot of times they go to the Bible, you know. Well, they didn't, and they weren't making that argument before, but now all of a sudden they're making that argument. Well, you know, God told uh, the Israelites that they shouldn't marry people from other nations, right? I mean, that's, that's what God said, okay? We'll talk about that in just a second, too. But, and I don't have a ton of time. We've been singing and blessing boxes and praying and all that. So I'll try to not to be too lengthy today. But let me, first of all, I think I need to back up and put a little bit of foundational touch on this. And, and that's this reality. And a lot of people miss this. A lot of people just plain miss this. And there's mostly white people in here. Now, I'm making, I'm making my wife so nervous right now, right? Why? Because I'm talking about race. And what's the one thing you can't talk about nowadays? race you can't uh but i'm going to okay uh, because it needs to be dealt with now you guys most of y'all are white i've got a couple of my black brothers and sisters right here they have mel more melanin in their skin than i do that means that they're darker than i do than i am but what's the reality of the difference between uh me and you guys what's the difference in in reality between me and my brother-in-law who is from mexico he has more melanin in his skin he's darker than i do and odd thing is all most all you white people you want to get out into the sun and get into a tanning bed to be darker but then you would have an issue well, not you hopefully not any of you but then would have an issue because your son or daughter would marry someone who's darker like you know, they just don't need the tanning bed, right? I don't get all of that, right? We, we, now, what's the primary distinction between me and someone who would have more melanin in their skin? What is, is there a really root genetic distinction? Well, let's ask this question. Where do we come from? Adam and Eve. You know, at the end of the day, we have the same grandparents, don't we? Do we not? This whole idea of race is absurd. Now, I, I touched on this in the broadcast, that if you want to use race to distinguish between nations, okay, race exists in that way. If you want to use race to distinguish between ethnicities, but let's just be clear about that. Racial distinctions in the humankind are farce otherwise. There is but one race. What race is that, people? The human race. There is one race. There's the human race. There's varieties, all different kinds and varieties of different human beings. There are human beings with big noses. There are human beings with tiny noses. There are human beings with big ears. There are human beings with little ears. There are human beings with bigger bellies. There are human beings with longer legs and some with shorter legs. There are all there are human beings with darker skin. There are people from the exact same place and the exact same culture who they vary in the levels of melanin in their skins, which would make some darker and some lighter. This whole idea that race is, is a distinguishing identity marker is, in my opinion, a scheme of the devil. It's a scheme of the devil. Now, I, I don't have time to go over that, but I think that unless you are an evolutionist, and if you are, that's a whole other conversation where you'll be proven wrong, but it, uh, if you're a creationist, okay, then you would agree with me that we have one 
set of grandparents that we can trace everybody back to, and now there's just distinctions, and all kind of different factors play into that, and all the science goes into that. But bottom line is, is that there's one race, the human race, and that there's just variations of different types of attributes that humans have. Now, going back to this idea of race and why it's become such an issue, and what I want to get into here. So, you know, you ask this question of, and it's not just white people that can be racist. Anybody can be racist. We, we've already said that. But you pull back the curtain on that racism when you say, well, how about what if your daughter was to marry a black guy or a Mexican guy or a Hispanic guy or whatever the politically right way to save people who have more melanin in their skin is? You say, oh, I don't know about that. Why do they think, why do they act like that? Well, I, I, you know, if you cut away all the, the extra junk, it seems to me that the only reason that anybody would say, oh, well, I'm not racist, but I really wouldn't want my daughter marrying somebody from another race. Why? Fear? I, I tend to think that it's a superiority complex. I don't know why else you would not want your daughter to marry someone of name the ethnicity or gender unless you thought that whatever ethnicity or, or, or race that you are is superior to that other ethnicity or race. Does that make sense? Oftentimes, this is put in ways that try to make it a more sympathetic cause. So you say, well, if, if, you know, if my daughter married someone of a different race, their children will be mixed, and you know that they're going to catch all kind of grief for that. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be persecuted. They're going to be called names. They're going to be called this and called that. And, and here I saw John Piper make a great statement on this. He says, but how will, how will it ever change until you change the way you're thinking let the children be born and then treat them with all the dignity and respect that every human being should have. How, how, can, you ever, how can you ever know? You know, it, it, is, it is a problematic argument. Now, I don't want to spend a ton more time on that. I could, I could continue to build that case, but I want to show something else here because I think something's happening in our culture that's very similar to what was happening here in this text. Let me, let me go back and read this. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, Cush was uh, from Ham, uh, the, was, was the son of Ham, and that area was the southernmost region, and it was called Ethiopia. So other texts translate this as the Ethiopian woman, okay? And this, this idea of the Ethiopian woman is kind of problematic. So the, the right question is, well, why do you think that Miriam had a problem just because she was black? Now, we know that in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23, the Ethiopian is known for the dark skin. In Jeremiah 3, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 13, 23, uh, the Bible says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? The, the, uh, the, the, the um, reality was that the Ethiopian people were known for having very dark skin. And so that was a distinguishing mark that set them apart. And here in Jeremiah, we see that that's just the way that God made them. They can't do anything about that. That was the color of their skin. Now, in 
Mo, in the account of Moses, we start asking the question, what issue did Miriam have with the Ethiopian wife? And there are several different things that's kicked around, but it's hard to escape the idea that Miriam had a problem with Moses marrying the Ethiopian woman because she was different than he was, because of the emphasis placed on where she was from. So it could have been the darkness of her skin, the fact that she was from another nation, the fact that she was from another race. I think one of the um, commentaries that I was reading here puts it very uh, wisely. Ronald B. Allen says, this is a basic resentment of race against race. So think about this. The darkness of her skin would have been an indicator that she was different and from another ethnicity than Moses. And so she despised this woman being married to her brother. So she had a problem with a different ethnicity, a different woman from a different ethnicity marrying her brother, and she came against him and spoke against him for that. But was that the primary problem that she had? Now, she couched this interaction with Moses in this racial issue. You know, she spoke against him because of his Ethiopian wife. He had taken, and Mo, Moses would not have been a lily white guy, but he had taken this really dark wife. And they come against him because of the Ethiopian, the dark wife. And so this is the way that the problem is presented. But she moves quickly from the racial problem to another problem altogether. Seemingly, and, and I think that uh, the commentaries most agree, is that the racial issue isn't the primary issue, but it's something altogether else. And the racial issue was an issue that she had that she thought she could come against Moses to get at this other problem. Am I making sense so far? Okay. And they said, this is verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? What does the two have to do with each other? They came against Moses because of the Ethiopian wife and then said, has the Lord just spoken to you only? Are you the only one that can, can, can bring a word from the Lord? Wait, what? You're, you're married to a, a dark woman. Who do you think you are speaking for God? See that? Wait a minute, misdirection much? Flip much? You see, what they were trying to do was trying to come at Moses because he had married someone from another race, from another ethnicity, from another nation, and trying to make that the reason that they were going to call his authority into question. In other words, to make it as simple as I possibly could, Moses, I can't believe you would marry a woman that is a different nationality and a different race than you. You must not be capable of speaking for God. We want your authority because of this thing that you have done. You see how she is elevating, and I, there's another reason I think it's race as well, but she's elevating herself and Aaron to the place of superiority because he has taken a wife of a different color from a different nation. They are in essence saying, this person is less than godly. This person is less than human. She makes you incapable of carrying out your duties. You see the superiority complex. Now, what do I mean by, and I, and I got to move, what do I mean by this is a smokescreen? It's a farce. It's a, it's a manipulative 
a manipulative tactic that they are using. They are using this race in order to usurp the authority that God has put in place. So what's their goal? To divide and conquer. They are looking to divide and to conquer. How are they going to divide? By pitting one race against another and by calling out or making less all of those who would see the races as one human race with no distinctions, all of us being made in the image of God, and therefore we can marry. Now, going one step back and just as a side note, Deuteronomy chapter 7 does forbid Israelites from marrying into other nations. And I've seen this argument used as combating the idea that it's fine to, for different people of different races to marry one another. Why is that problematic? The problem is, is that race and the color of skin had nothing to do with the instructions that God and the commands of God to not intermarry into the surrounding nations. What was it about? Why did God command the Israelites not to marry into the surrounding nations? Was it because of skin color? Was it because of inferior human beings? What? Idolatry. It was idolatry. God said you shall, and he explicitly named it. He said you shall not take wives from the surrounding nations. Why? Because they will lead you to worship their gods. What is the new covenant pullover from that? It is that Christians are not allowed to marry non-Christians. Nothing to do with race. And I've said on the broadcast for the whole world to see, and I'll say here from this stage publicly, if my daughter brings home a dark-skinned boy, it better be a boy first. Okay? But if my daughter brings home a dark-skinned guy, a light-skinned guy, a Hispanic guy, an Asian guy, a white guy, I don't care what kind of guy, as long as he's a guy, my first question is this. Does he love Jesus? My next question is, explain to me the Trinity. Okay? <laughs> not to be unequally yoked is the carryover of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Not to not intermarry among races. That is silly. It is no argument whatsoever. You cannot find it. Now, to just move through this, because I've got more to get to and I'm fast running out of time. What is the only, so this is the only spot that we remotely have an explicit uh, place where inter, interracial marriage is addressed. Moses marries an Ethiopian woman. The Ethiopian is known to have dark skin. His sister comes against him, and God uh, interacts with this. God responds to this. The only place in Scripture that I'm aware of, one of, if not the only, place that interracial marriage is dealt with is in Numbers chapter 12 and, this, and Miriam comes against Moses for taking a dark wife and who is, who is God angry with? Moses? Did he say, Miriam you're right, I can't believe you married this Ethiopian. What in the world? Was that God's response? No. What does God say? How dare you speak against Moses? How dare you call into question what I've done because he took an Ethiopian wife? And, and here, just to put a bow on this, I thought this was good, and I shared this in the broadcast of this, is that God is so ironic, is he not? 
God is so, uh, so good. God says, you know what, Miriam? Since you think being white is so amazing or light-skinned, since you think being light-skinned is so amazing and that, you know, if you've got dark skin or if you marry someone with dark skin, you, can't, you must not be right with God. You must have a problem with God. And how, you're not the only spoke. You're not the one. You can't carry God's authority because you have a problem with dark skin. I'll tell you what, Miriam, since you like light skin so much, I'm going to make you white as snow. And when God's presence lifts out of the pillar of the cloud, she's, the text explicitly says, it says this, it says, uh, come out from there, you three. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he comes at them hard. And this is what it says. When the cloud removed from the, over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. What do you mean leprous? Like snow. He says, you think white's been is so great? I'll make you white, all right. He made her like snow and condemned that. Now, I could go on and on and on about, you know, Jesus Christ. We already established the church is, is diverse. It's from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. If you know anything at all about the Bible, you know that the church is the bride of Christ, and Christ paid the ultimate price for his bride to bring unto himself a bride that is what? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The greatest demonstration of an interracial marriage is Jesus Christ and his church. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, I'm not saying interracial marriage is better. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm saying that we're all human beings, and it's perfectly fine. And God is very pleased as long as both are believers. As long as both are believers. Now, the issue that I want to point out here, though, is the fact that Miriam used the race card in order to come against Moses' authority and ultimately God's authority. That this whole idea that, that these racial issues, that these other issues really, that the objective reality of God's standards would be called into question with the, uh, with the issue of race and, and intermarriage between nations. And does this sound familiar? Does it sound familiar that someone would, no matter what the situation was, would use the race card in order to divide people down lines and to separate them and to try to conquer them? Does it sound familiar when people would try to use race against the people and try to convince them that the races should not be joined together, that the races should be separate? Can't you see how much these white people hate you? Can't you see how much these black people hate you? Can't you see that we should never enter into these, these agreements, into these things? Can't you understand all of these things? You know, whiteness is evil. Darkness is evil. All of this type of stuff when God has said... There is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer Greek that we are all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, talking about this Rittenhouse trial and whether you followed it, whether you don't, whether you agree with the verdict, whether you don't, is of no consequence to what I say. This is the reality of the situation. I watched that whole trial and I watched every piece of evidence that the prosecutor enter, prosecution entered in to be considered by the jury to come down on a verdict or not. And this is what I'll tell you, is that they did not have one stitch of evidence to prove that Kyle Rittenhouse was a racist, that he was a white supremacist, that he was anything other than maybe a, a stupid kid 
who tried to do what he thought was right and ended up having to kill somebody who was trying to attack him. My main point is, is that if they would have had evidence that he was a racist, they would have presented it. If they would have had evidence that he was a white supremacist, they would have presented it. None of that was there. Why do I bring that up? It's because the same day that the, guilt, the not guilty verdict came out, I saw several people post these posts on Facebook, these Twitter posts that I saw on Facebook, and, and one of them read like this. One of them read like this. Unbelievable. Kyle Rittenhouse found not guilty even though he took two beautiful black lives. I'm not kidding you. And that came from a university where the student from that university was writing for the, the social media from that university. And it said, this shows where we're going when a 17-year-old wielding an AR-15 can take two beautiful lives and injure another and is found not guilty. Now, you heard a, a few people laughing. You know why? It's because they know that Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old white guy who killed two other white guys, and, and the third one he shot was a white guy too. There was no individuals who were black that was involved in that part of this case in the least. But the media, those who would desire to separate us, those who would desire to usurp the justice system, those who would desire to uh, bring hate and division among us, grabbed this story, twisted it, lied, and set race as the primary issue here when they have another agenda up their sleeve. Now, why would I address that in the pulpit? One, I believe it's absolutely relevant to us and that we need to be aware of what's going on. You need to know God's word. You need to know how to rightly divide God's word and how to employ the logic and the reason that God has given you. You need to know what the word says about individuals. You need to know what the word says about judging. You, know, you need to know what the word says about uh, considering both sides of every argument. And you need to be careful of being drawn into false narratives that would cause you to hate those people around you for absolutely no reason other than a lie. It's a lie. We must be willing to look at the situation that we're in, and we must be willing to give the benefit of the doubt, and we must be willing to withhold our judgment until we have all the facts and we can rightly make that judgment. We have to understand that we are all created in the image of God. We have to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ not only covers a multitude of sin, but it transcends every single culture. It, trans it transcends every single issue. There is nothing that can come against us and divide us if we are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not time, not money, not race, nothing. Because we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I may have stepped on a few toes this morning, maybe especially some old school toes. But that's okay. That's okay. The Word of God is very clear. Whether it's interracial marriage, whether it is slowing down and being slow to speak and quick to listen, slow to anger, 
whether it's being uh, logical and consistent in the thoughts that you have, whether it's employing wisdom before you make a judgment, whether it's being aware of the schemes of the enemy that are coming at you to destroy you and to divide us, that they might convince us that the other person hates us when the other person only hates us because this person has convinced them to hate us as well. There is a common enemy here, and the enemy is Satan, who is what? The father of and it's all lies. It's all deceit. And we have got to be willing to have a conversation with the people around us. We have got to be willing to exercise forgiveness and grace and mercy and to be Christ to a lost and dying world. We have got to stop listening to these. And it's on the right and on the left. It's everywhere. It's, it's because the media, social media, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, all of them are after one thing. What? Money. Money. And they'll tell you everything you want to hear. So the, the lefty guys turn over to MSNBC and they're like, yeah, get it, boy. Get it. Yeah, he's right. He's right. That's right. You turn over to all the right-wing people, though. Don't laugh too hard because y'all turn over to Fox going, that's right. That's right. And all of them are just telling you exactly what you want to hear. You need, you need to know what you need to turn? You need to turn over into your Bible. You need to get into the Word of God. And you need to let the Word of God define your relationships and define what you will believe and define your standard of truth that you will measure everything else by. Do not let them deceive you. Do not let them deceive you. There is no hope in the government system and the cultural system of this world. The only hope for that governmental system and the cultural system is the Word of the living God. Is salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ and an infiltration by the gospel that we proclaim to a lost and dying world. And we will show them what it means to avoid the lies and schemes of the enemy and to come together in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand to our feet. I want to pray and we can have the musicians come forward and uh, respond accordingly. Uh, remember tonight we're giving out the turkeys. Be here at 320 if you want to volunteer. Um, if any of you need a turkey or know somebody who does, we'll start giving those out at 4 o'clock. I love you guys. I appreciate y'all. And um, respond to the gospel. Respond to maybe some issues that you've been dealing with for years and years and years and years. I'm not so naive as to think that racism doesn't even exist in our congregation. We all have to examine our hearts, see where we are. Do business with God. <laughs>